Welcome to this June edition of the Australian New Zealand Women's Declaration International Webinar. My name is Janet Fraser and I'm the convener of the Feminist Legal Clinic in Exile. Our principal solicitor, Anna Kerr, is doing tech with Kate Williamson, so thanks to those women. I live and work on Darug and Gandanga and Nara outside of Sydney. Wherever you're coming from this evening, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations across this continent. And tonight, a special mention of our US sisters facing the loss of Roe versus Wade, which has surely turned everybody's world upside down a little bit, and particularly those of us in the US. We send our love and solidarity to our sisters there. And now to introduce our excellent panel. Yolanda Forster lives on Wurundjeri country. She was born and raised in Belize, Central America, and is of Mayan ethnicity. She's a mother of two daughters who breastfed past toddlerhood. She holds qualified teacher status in the UK and an MA in applied linguistics and teaching English to speakers of other languages. She has taught in four countries and has taught all ability levels from primary to tertiary levels. In 2007, she trained with the Association of Breastfeeding Mothers, a registered charity in the UK as a mother supporter. She continues to advocate for pregnant women, mothers and their babies, though her daughters are now in their teens. I'll turn over to you, Yolanda. The Association of Breastfeeding Mothers, the ABM, is a UK registered charity founded in 1979 by women who were members of La Leche League. These founding members saw a niche to support women who La Leche League were not reaching. As a working mother, the ABM's distance training model suited me. The term mother supporter was chosen over peer supporter as it made us unique, according to one of its early members. In 1979, 1979 was the age of second wave feminism and the founders wanted to have mothers visible in the name of the association and in the name of its entry level members. The ABM also carries no advertising and its small size possibly made it less hierarchical, which also appealed to me. For clarity, a breastfeeding counselor is the second and middle second stage of training in the ABM's model. I found the ABM through a large UK parenting board, Mumsnet, which my partner stated he had no business in there because it says so in the name. A place with outspoken, outspoken women who freely gave of their expertise, warmth and camaraderie, camaraderie far beyond nappies and boobies. Without familiar links in the UK, the women on Mumsnet became my mama tribe, and I remain in touch with some who I have met nearly two decades ago. This is the power of women that form powerful bonds beyond our differences and unite because we are mothers and we are women. I moved to the Middle East in 2016 and continued to support mothers where once more our differences disappeared because of bumps, babies and breasts. I also became keenly aware of the value of female-only spaces. Most westernized women, including myself from the Caribbean, have no experience what we are missing. 
what we have lost until we enter truly woman-only spaces and having to give no reason for men to be in our spaces, waiting rooms, in public buildings, train carriages, women and children only queues at the airport have distinct advantages. Free of men, women relax more in each other's company. Women only celebrations at private homes where there is zero concern that men will accidentally be present. We speak sooner and we speak more freely in each other's company. In 2017, the ABM's conference organizer contacted me asking if I would be the conference photographer. I happily agreed and changed my flight dates from Qatar to coincide with the London conference. I remember her sharing via with other members of central committee that I was coming all the way from Qatar to participate. I also communicated this in person with more than one member of central committee at the event. In 2021, my absence from the UK was the reason I was given for removing my status as a mother supporter. In mid 2018, a week long verbal confrontation occurred on, face, on a Facebook page of a friend and I made the decision to intervene about the behavior of breastfeeding and birth related trans activists should the opportunity arise. Little did I know it would arise within my own organization. These are some of the screenshots I took from that long thread. It was a thread on Maureen Minchin's public page. So I have taken the liberty of using these um, screenshots name, names uncovered since I believe the authors were fully aware of where they were writing and why they were writing. In the top uh, left corner is um, part of Maureen's um, reason for starting the thread. Um, this is in response to someone and I think this encapsulates what a lot of breastfeeding supporters like myself feel very strongly about when it comes to looking for evidence and breastfeeding. It's one of the core philosophies for us. It's one of the reasons I trained. It's one of the reasons I hold dear, which is why I stand up for women. Okay. So where there is a power, where it takes powerful hormone mixes, I'd like to see long-term follow-up studies that applies regardless of sex agenda. Since Ultrasound studies on formula-fed kids show deviations in reproductive tissue development by as young as four months of age. Um, Lourdes Santabella, who um, Maureen is addressing here, is uh, a Puerto Rican IBCLC who was extremely rude and disgustingly so in my interpretation. And the reason frequently given by these activists is that she is oppressed so she can use whatever voice she wants, you know, to everybody on a public page. You know, I come from the Caribbean, this is not acceptable. You know, Caribbean women know when and where and how to behave. So I do not see her, I do not give that excuse to someone behaving the way she did. Maureen eventually blocked her because of her rudeness. It just continued. And the activists, you know, sort of said that was okay. 
uh, Michelle Pensabanco is um, her name, as well as Teresa Pittman. You can Google these people yourselves. I'm not going to talk about them. Marianne Thompson um, is a 90-year-old woman who is one of the founding members of La Leche League in the 1950s. And um, the gaslighting, the ageist comments were quite something to watch. It was, you know, I, I kept my peace until quite, you know, late in the in the day, so to speak. And then I spoke more, more as a mother and a teacher when I commented. Uh, yeah. Oh, look, the turf's come out to play. Oh, yes, we have. You know, IBCLC and, uh, you know, it's not the contents, it's the tone. You know, it's a tone. It's not acceptable for women to treat other women like this when we disagree with each other. It's not acceptable to put it on a public forum where, where vulnerable mothers and, and women like myself who had tra traumatic birth experiences can read this for themselves. It's, it's just insane. Um, and this one, while I was making um, this, these collecting these screen caps um, was, was quite shocking considering the war in Ukraine at the minute and to see that even in Ukraine in 2018, that the Leche League was expelling members um, over differences of language. Um, I don't know how they justify it, but you know, I'll continue from here. Some of these people quoted in these slides have global recognition and the IBCLC is an internationally recognized qualification, being the only breastfeeding qualification with a legally protected status. Imagine if the principal at your child's school behaved in this way with the teaching staff and parents. In late 2020, I happened upon an active thread in a closed home birth Facebook group. Millie Hill had been under sustained attack for months, I later understood, by trans activists, some of whom were members of the ADM. My 5,000 word complaint with about 12 screen caps of extended dialogue showed that the language and behavior of three mother supporters who were training to be breastfeeding counselors broke the ABM's social media policy, their discrimination policy and the Equality Act of 2010, as well as bringing the organization into disrepute. Here are some of the choice comments that I decided uh, were unacceptable. Um, this is the, the one on the right was in response to someone who volunteers for the Childbirth Trust, essentially putting a threat out there that other, other birth workers can read, other breastfeeding workers can read. And we know this, we don't want this to happen to us. You know, Millie Hill's opinions are dangerous. Her opinion was to say only women give birth really in short. Um, and here is uh, Debbie Gosling, who I am in contact with as an acquaintance, um, stating that, um, you know, Beth, you are representing your organization here because it was on her profile. And, you know, so is so. The response rejected my claims and was testament to trans ideology. 
Though my complaint did not contain any references to the support or lack of support from trans for transactivism or ideology, this is what kicked off the discussion. As soon as I saw this, I thought it was um, hinting to apartheid and it, it captured my attention. So for me, it was activating racism in order to target a woman about birth. You know, there's been no evidence of racism, but this is how it's presented to get the thread going. This is what the ABM responded. We wish to embrace the LGBTQ plus community and do not wish to erase women. We appreciate how hard people have worked over the decades to bring women's health and rights to the fore and do not believe that the LGBTQ community wish to derail that. For me, I did not, it was not about LGBTQ. It was about the behavior of their activists, of their, of their, of their trained members. The implied conclusion for me was that the ABM's members can call women, a woman a racist, bigot, turf, because she states that only women can breastfeed. I refused to accept the dismissive response and wrote once more. As per the complaints policy, three members of Central Committee reviewed the complaint. The three members of the Central Committee provided a professional and legal UK law response. At this point, my access to the ABM trained and training group was terminated without notice. This was retaliation for not shutting up and knowing my place. The only reason provided is that I am no longer a member, uh, uh, currently resident in the UK. I have not yet been provided with a satisfactory response to the freedom of information request showing where in the organization's policies it states that a mother supporter must be resident of the UK. Within a week, a third letter arrived overturning the second letter. The Central Committee bottled it and bowed to the browbeating of trans activists within the organization. I remain persona non grata, though I'm still a member. Only women breastfeed. How did we get here? As I said, the 2018 attack on a public page demonstrated that there have been many previous discussions, fierce discussions happening in closed groups on social media. Narratives have been rehearsed in these groups and now the narrative was moving out of the IBCLC only spaces into the mainstream where anyone can read them. These IBCLCs and breastfeeding counselors based in West, wealthy Western countries are based in, in wealthy Western countries. The attack on Marianne Thompson preceded a later attack on her private Facebook page. Marianne Thompson is a 90 plus year old woman and, a, and the only living founding member of La Leche League. Maureen Minchin is in her 70s and she worked her entire life in breastfeeding research and helped to create the field of lactation consultancy. Likewise, in the birth world in 2019, a midwifery conference that was to be held at an Amish retreat in the United States was destroyed by trans ideologists in the birth and breastfeeding world. The attack on Millie Hill, therefore, was quite predictable. The increasingly brave face of trans activism in the UK is now unraveling as it moves out of the niche groups and into the marketplace of the Daily Mail, 
the Times and the Australian. I remain a member of the APM despite this not unexpected fallout. I also understand that the fierce attacks on others serve as heads on spikes at the crossroads on bridges and in the marketplace. And this is only the lowly support, and this isn't the only lowly supporter who is threatened. Without the secret groups where who's who in breastfeeding gather, women lose their standings in the community and their livelihoods if, unlike me, it is tied to their income and careers. The most caring professional on social media public pages, virtue signaling to you and I, can be vicious to her colleague who she may have known and worked with for years in these closed groups. So they all say the, say the right things, stay silent, leave quietly, or get thrown out for refusing to show allegiance to trans ideology. Last year, I attended the ABM's annual general meeting, which is the reason why I continue to pay my, for my membership and asked the following question. Considering the controversy regarding Millie Hill in the news at the moment, will the ABM Central Committee reassure its members that they will be supported when they share comments, asserting that breastfeeding is a sex phenomenon and that safeguarding a mother-baby diet is central to our core mission. In response, the ABM chair repeated the trans ideology on the previous slide, that we must center trans people. What I have never seen is how we safeguard women and the volunteers who do not want male-bodied people in their spaces for any reason, some women object on religious grounds, some due to trauma. However, a woman does not need to provide a reason why she needs to be away from male-bodied people because she wants is reason enough. I believe that there is internal and external pressure for the ABM to remove the name mother, the word mother from its name. On more than one occasion, and before I was persona non grata, the chair stated that we must try harder than others, meaning charities, to show our inclusiveness. Why? It also accounts for the removal of the word mother and the adoption of peer supporter in the title. ABM peer supporter previously known as mother supporter. So the founding mothers have lost their name. As a charity for women and by women, it is diluting its message by serving a politically driven ideology and which it is in breach of its own governing document, which is filed with the UK Charity Commission and its constitution. So underlined here to promote the physical and psychological health of mothers and children through education in the techniques of breastfeeding. Doesn't say chest feeding, doesn't say lactation, doesn't say human milk feeding, because these are different skill sets that would be able to address these things. Breastfeeding counselors are not trained to do those things. They're trained in breastfeeding. <clears throat> 
this is how in March 2021, our mission statement has changed, is to support families. These options benefit families. I do not see the word woman anymore or mother. The ABM breached the Equality Act when it blocked me more recently for asking the following question on its public page. Can the Association of Breastfeeding Mothers share where I can read or cite the evidence that some people are not comfortable with using the word breast and prefer to use the word chest, as this would be useful for further learning. This was in the context of Muslim women observing Ramadan who had stated, this is quoting a Muslim woman, the schools of thought agree that breastfeeding mothers are exempted. There is no mention of chest feeding parent. What is it? In the context of breastfeeding and Islam, many women, many Muslim women have found the ABM's response offensive. It, re it reads, some women are not comfortable with using the word breast and prefer to use the word chest. They still lactate, so it would still be exempt. One observant Jewish woman and another mother also voiced their concerns, but they were also removed from the page. The following written response to a Muslim woman stated the following. Shortly after the comments from the Muslim women, but before we could change the language of the post, we were unfortunately targeted by several trans activists from the USA and Australia. That was me. Who were working on their own agenda and getting quite nasty. So we decided that at that point, the best bet was to close comments on the post and delete replies while we worked out what to do. This was my other nasty post. I created this little thing um, because it's, it comes from, Trevor McDonald is a trans man who also trained with Lelechele Canada. Um, this is a, an article, a journal article that he published with others. And um, it's frequently used as evidence of, you know, why we must say chest feeding because it makes trans men more comfortable. Yet this document states that only 13% of trans masculine participants use the term and 13% of a very small targeted group use the term. So who decides what's better for women? I don't think this serves um, women at all. Uh, whether they're trans women or, sorry, trans men, I get my own terminology confused, or women. From linguistics, I know that women are the first adopters of new language and new ideas. I think this has something deeply rooted in our evolutionary paths where women, where humans searched for food. Men have always been more conservative as well, even in their language. These have served as well as tools for survival throughout human history. However, as early adopters of trans ideology language, I fear women have not looked closely at how this can damage who we are. 
combined with the social conditioning that women, especially women in caring careers, you know, mothers, are expected to put their needs after everyone else's, it isn't surprising that gender and trans ideology has made such inroads into the collective female consciousness. The lack of respect for established rules of policy, law, scientific evidence, and plain old common decency by women who do not respect what has been hard won and easy lost, easily lost, as we know from the overturning of Roe versus Wade. These activists do not speak for the billions of women around the world who labor under the fact that they cannot identify out of their social roles due to their biological sex. I'm sure they know what a woman is. Jasmine Sussex lives on Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation. She is a mother of three, wife, feminist, and sacked former breastfeeding counsellor with the Australian Breastfeeding Association. I was a member of the Australian Breastfeeding Association from September 2004 when I was in my second trimester, which is when you're supposed to join. Um, and then I stopped being a member in May 2020. That would be this year. Um, and I was a breastfeeding counsellor from um, 2006 to July last year. 2021. And so I was um, sacked from being a breastfeeding counsellor for refusing to do what they wanted me to do in talking about trans ideology in support of breastfeeding mothers. And I was expelled from the association for talking about them sacking me. Yay. So um, uh, Lumi made this for me, which makes me quite happy. Um, and you can't quite see here, but we've got, um, it says, what are you, what, what, why are you here or something like that? And it says, I said only mother's breastfeed. So, and we've got the, um, the Lesh League and ABA, they all use this little tinker of a mother and a baby which I quite like being on the, um, called a pyre or the bonfire anyway. Yes, ABA, three mothers and babies on the fire in this whole ridiculous debate. So, um, and then we have over here, so this is what I got expelled for. So um, it was an absolute joy to come and speak to your lovely women at um International Women's Day in March, Anna. Although <laughs> ABA were not entirely happy with me telling the truth about the things they did to me and other mothers who are counsellors. Um, and so then when the something about why I got expelled for sectarian controversy, which is a breach of the constitution engaging in sectarian controversy. So it was for speaking to the conference about what happened and then the YouTube video of that, which was popped on your YouTube channel. Um, and then a friend from school um, who's a um, 
TV journalist asked me to, she watched it on my Facebook page and she asked me to go and talk to her about it. So this is me talking to Rita um, and, yeah, that didn't make ABA very happy either. So, yes. Um, so that's why I got expelled as a member. Why I got sacked was because um, the ABA um, announced a consultation, um, which was really push-polling, proposing that um, the ABA move to gender-inclusive language um, to, I guess, make way for the release of a book that they'd been working on in a partnership with Rainbow Families for about two years at that stage. And, um, and the book was called Breastfeeding, Chestfeeding and Human Milk Feeding. And it was off the back of a $20,000 grant that someone or other gave to someone or other and somewhere in there ABA got some, maybe, maybe not, and Rainbow Families got some as well. Um, and, yeah, so they had this consultation about using gender-inclusive language and um, stupid me and some other um, breastfeeding counsellors thought, in a consultation, you should, you know, say what you think, wrong. So, um, yeah, if you said the wrong thing, then you were targeted for um, complaints alleging that you'd breached the code of ethics because you thought only mothers breastfeed and other things and that it's important to not use gender-inclusive language like birthing bodies and menstruators and chest feeding and human milk feeding and all the other kind of ridiculous trans propaganda that passes for inclusive language. This was like one of four or five things that I said that were like given as evidence of why I should be sacked. And this one was upheld along with another one, which is why I'll just show you this one because it kind of encapsulates it. So a trans ideologue moderator posted this rubbish about you're doing the very best you can in this parenting game with the cards your family has been dealt. Keep going. And um, myself and actually all of the other six mothers who um, um, got investigated, like punished, some of us got sacked, um, um, responded to this along with normal mums, like as in non-counsellor mums, and um, we didn't know each other at the time, um, like the couple from Queensland, couple from New South Wales, and I was the like lone Victorian. And and we just talked about um being breastfeeding counselors and mums and you know, because we didn't really relate to this initiating post about parenting. Anyway, so I was perhaps the most um annoying of 
um, those that posted and, um, and I just kind of clarified what the ABA is about. I said that we're here for mothers and their families and we provide a mother-to-mother support service and only mothers breastfeed, which is why we birth and then breastfeed the baby. And this moderator um, reported me for hate speech and bullying. So we got the kind of automatic report through Facebook for hate speech and bullying. And then two months later, that turned into a formal complaint from that same moderator and um, four other, I'm assuming, might be wrong, but pretty sure I'm not, um, members of the social media team. And then there was one complaint that was a group complaint pretty much from all the same people that was sent to the board. So, um, so yeah, that was my six complaints um, and two of which were uphold, upheld. Kind of three, but the third one was with the same post, that post on the previous page, so that didn't really make sense. But anyway, um, so then... Everyone's always like, no, but that can't be it. Like, is that really what you got sacked for? And I'm like, yeah, it really is. I just did a little rundown of the um, declaration articles as they relate to my experience of the ABA. Um, and I could talk about this for a few hours really easily without notes, but I won't because we're about to wrap up. So um, I've just played a little bit of um, women's declaration articles, um, um, kind of, what is it, bingo, when you put them on a board, which ones of them have the ABA been messing with in terms of women's sex-based rights? So, um, yes, they haven't got involved in... Um, six, seven, and eight, but the other, the other, what's it, five, they have. So, and very quickly, some examples of what I mean by that. So, um, Article One, um, which is pretty obvious what that's about, that our rights are um, based on sex. So, obviously, um, my thought crime in, um, asserting that, you know, only mum's breastfeed seems kind of relevant um, to the idea that, you know, it's sex, not gender identity, that is the basis of um, women's sex-based rights. And obviously ABA don't respect that um, or they don't respect it for, you know, that, they think it's equally important to respect gender identity, I guess, you could say, if you were being kind. Um, so we have, unfortunately, quite a few pronoun havers on the ABA's board. Um, and um, some of them are health professionals, so you'd think they'd be pretty clear about, um, you know, what women are, but apparently not. Um, and, um, yeah, unfortunately, the kind of adherence to gender identity ideology is spreading through the counsellor community at a disappointing rate. So, um, 
We've got our mummy and our baby here with Article 2. So motherhood is an exclusively female status. This is my favourite article, I think. Um, so not so much in the ABA. So um, we've got the Vic branch president who says that chest feeding men can chest feed. So um, there you have that. And then, um, you know, most recently in the Daily Mail, we've got the executive officer, um, you know, on the frontiers of um, male um, galacteria inducement um, medicine, even though we don't give medical advice, saying that men can breastfeed. So that's pretty fabulous. Um, so the um, physical and reproductive integrity, Article 3, um, I find the partnership with Rainbow Families like really disturbing um, to the extent that it like it overturns a whole load of kind of agreements and policies that the ABA has about the services that it provides and um, what it says to women about um, like milk donation. So, um, you know, in that book, there's um, a, like a, a mini chapter, which is only a couple of pages, doesn't really say much, but still about surrogacy. Um, and, um, and in the training, it talks about gay men um, calling helpline to get access to um, donor milk which is a bit odd given um, uh, the ABA doesn't facilitate donor milk provision between women. Like, it, you know, it's quite risk-averse risk in its um, policy around informal mother-to-mother human milk sharing in that, like, doesn't actively facilitate it. Um, and it provides information to mothers so they can make an informed choice about risk. So it seems like all of that just gets jettisoned when it's um, in the under the rainbow umbrella. Um, and then also there's this horrific, um, it's not just one case study, there's a few um, in the book, uh, like up the back where, you know, like if you're a good woman or a good breastfeeding counsellor or a good member of the ABA, then you'll be donating your milk so that women who've had their breasts removed um, who are men can um, give their babies your milk. So, yeah, I find that pretty appalling. Um, yay. So um, freedom of opinion and expression so that's, that's, that's not gone so well um, for, you know, at least seven of the breastfeeding counsellors. Um, yep, don't think I'm free to express an opinion about gender identity. That definitely didn't go well. Um, yeah, so peaceful assembly and association. Um, I feel a bit cheeky talking about this one because obviously... There's a lot of places in the world where it's a lot worse than um, Australia, but, um, you know, in relation to, like, lesbian mothers, I do, this does frustrate me about the Australian Breastfeeding Association, just the, you know, the sheer contempt 
um, for lesbian mothers um, that is represented in all of the ABA's recent activities with rainbow families and, you know, kowtowing to the trans lobby. So, um, you know, in the podcast that was used to um, promote this, that book, the Rainbow Families book, um, there's an interview with a former Lalesh League. Actually, I think she still runs Lalesh League Australia and um, she's married to a trans woman um, and, you know, they had children together before the transition. Um, and, um, yeah, when she's interviewed on the podcast, she says some pretty egregious things about what lesbians are, um, which includes her husband um, in the category. Yeah, and the, like, ABA representative on the podcast like smiles through it, interviews this lovely lesbian couple from Victoria who I've seen speak at um, Victorian branch conference um, in 2019. And, you know, at the conference when they spoke, they were all, you know, mum, two mums, you know, and then on the podcast they've clearly been told what to say because they're using completely different language it's all parent this parent that and I just don't know why they participated <laughs> like why would you do that to your own community I, I mean anyway I like maybe it was edited together I don't know but it's pretty bad um yeah, and then also like the association thing. So this probably kind of gets me second only most to the protection of the rights of the child aspect of it. So just like the ABA, you know, they've just from the beginning, they've just been so calculating in the way that they've tried to divide and isolate like the seven of us and kind of pit us against each other. And like I'm starting to lose count of the number of like former breastfeeding counsellor friends who ABA have retaliated against because they've done things like like a post on my private Facebook page or like share a video or, um, you know, like also complain about any of the other seven, not seven, the five like breastfeeding counsellors who lodge complaints, like they're just vicious. And, um, yeah. So anyway, um, yes, yeah, so the final one is the protection of the rights of the child. So, um, you know, I, like I don't know if everybody's read this one, but um, like it's really worth reading, you know. 
So children should receive, this is just a summary, obviously, but um, children should receive accurate information about human biology and, reprodu and reproduction and not gender stereotyping through their education. Children should not be subjected to the use of drugs and surgery for gender reassignment. So, like, but by the time I was being investigated for those posts, the, the first, like, incident that I'd had where I'd come across, uh, like, a mother who whose child was, um, like, struggling with, uh, like, her formation of her concept of herself as a little girl. Um, I So it, it was no longer, a, like, active um, complaint. It had happened, like, nearly 12 months before, no, like, 12 months <laughs> before the complaints were lodged against me, but it got dusted off <laughs> and kind of like re-put to me as an example of um, me being a disgusting person pretty much. Um, and um, and the just like the total capture of the ABA in putting that mother's position to me as something that I direct quote must respect and support you know like yeah so anyway that wasn't the best um and then also um yeah so that I must support and respect the transition of a preschool age child you know like admittedly just social transition but like, I, I, I don't know how they justify that at all. Um, yay. So that is all of that. And this is my baby here when he was three and a bit um, after a day away at creche, kind of relaxing. So I thought I'd just include that. And then we have last slide. I'm sorry if I've talked for way too long. So um, these are all my babies again. Um, and this is day two with little, like, baby boy. And then this was, like, the first hour with my baby boy there. So I look rather excited, quite happy. Um, I mean, it is super depressing, all of this, but I think, you know, what always reassures me is that no one agrees with them. So except for some people inside the ABA. And, you know, so I think it's important to just remind ourselves of that. Um, and, you know, whenever you get women and men, because there are only two categories, um, talking about this where they're not scared of the repercussions to them, I will tell you that. Anna McCormick lives and works as a volunteer on the land and waters of Kwandamooka country. She is a lifetime left-wing activist feminist. Anna manages the IWD Brisbane Neangin Facebook page 
and hosts a number of events and groups, including a direct action protest group supporting women's sex-based rights and a feminist discussion group. She also organizes the annual Radical Feminist Conference in Brisbane Mianjin in March and the IWD rally in March in the same month. Anna was a union activist through her working life, serving as a delegate and member of trade union women's committees. What I'm going to talk about is very different from what Yolanda and Jasmine have spoken about. Um, and it's about policy and legislation and organizing, feminist organizing against what is coming and what is happening. The next piece of Queensland legislation to set back women's rights and there have been a few now, will be the establishment of sex self-identification via changes to the Births, Deaths and Marriages Registration Act. This is being done at the behest of the gender identity industry, and women have been advised by the Queensland State Government that we're not stakeholders, and we've been denied any input to the changes. So we have a state government that's been ideologically captured by the very powerful gender identity ideology that's swept the capitalist world. For a number of years, the Queensland government has been introducing significant parts of that ideology into state policy across all departments with no media scrutiny and minimal community consultation. They've relied on changes to the Federal Sex Discrimination Act that were made by the Gillard government in 2013, which removed the definitions for woman and man and opened the way for changes to be made in policy and law that prioritise gender over sex as a ground for defence of rights. Unlike other states, we don't have two chambers in the parliament. We have a single chamber just the Legislative Assembly. So there's no House of Review in Queensland. As a substitute for a House of Review, and it's a very poor substitute from my experience, we have a parliamentary committee that reviews the bills sent to it by the parliament and produces a report for parliament's consideration. From my limited experience in this area, and I've been involved in two uh, matters that have been sent to the parliamentary committee. The first was some years ago, and that was the um, that was a result of the campaign against the wicked camper van slogans, and, and we partially won that. But the more recent one um, was uh, the conversion therapy bill. So from my experience, the parliamentary committee is just a rubber stamp for the government. In a 93-seat parliament, the Labor government has 52 seats and the LNP opposition has 34 seats, 52-34, with a crossbench of seven. So it isn't as if Labor and the LNP are even close in strength. The Labor Party has a strong lead and it can do what it wants. We have a single daily newspaper, the Courier Mail. It's a poor quality Murdoch paper with no interest in investigating political developments that harm women and children. 
The one journalist who I did have contact with, who had an interest in these issues a few years ago, left very suddenly. Although I've since heard from Stasia from the Coalition for Biological Reality just yesterday that there may be a reasonable contact there at the moment. The particular instance where I had experience of how the parliamentary committee system works was, as I mentioned, through the Queensland government's introduction of the conversion therapy legislation, or as I like to call it, the born in the wrong body law. IWD Brisbane Mianjin was one of five feminist groups across the country that put in submissions on this law. All five pointed up the dangers of introducing the affirmation approach to children and young people who believed they were born in the wrong body. We were selected, IWDBM was selected to give verbal evidence to the parliamentary committee, as were a number of professional organisations, um, such as the AMA and the Law Society of Queensland. They took the same line that we did, um, all ignored. There was a small adjustment, minor adjustment. Uh, but the other organisations that, that gave evidence were government-funded organisations representing the interests of the gender identity uh, industry. And some professional associations like the AASW, which is my old um, professional association, the Australian Association of Social Workers, um, took a very bad line, predictably, they're gung-ho in favour of uh, conversion therapy. Um, another of the issues that we've dealt with has been the review of the Queensland Anti-Discrimination Act. So it's an act from 1991. It the review of that act occurred last year. It hasn't yet produced an updated act. It was reviewed by the Queensland Human Rights Commission, which, like the Queensland government, is a captive of the gender identity industry. So it was an inappropriate body to conduct the review. And that was the first point that we made in our submission on this legislation. But nevertheless, it did conduct the review and feminist concerns were dismissed. The Queensland Human Rights Commission barely seems to regard women as human. And it seems to have little regard for the safety and well-being of children. This is evidenced by the school's trans guidelines that the QHRC produced for the education department. And you can read those on the web and they're woeful. Also by their submission to government on the conversion therapy bill and the evidence that they provided at the parliamentary committee hearing on the bill in 2020. For the review of the Anti-Discrimination Act, the QHRC was guided by a reference group, which was established to ensure that stakeholder views were understood and properly considered during the review and to enhance engagement between the QHRC and diverse stakeholders about the Anti-Discrimination Act review. The problem was, of course, that women weren't regarded as a stakeholder in the review of the Anti-Discrimination Act. There were 10 people on the reference group. All the groups that are discriminated against were represented except for women. 
and except for lesbians in particular. Two lawyer groups were represented, a church group, the Chamber of Commerce, the Queensland Council of Unions. Women are actually the largest group to make complaints under this Act, but women were not seen as a stakeholder group. Neither were lesbians. We were advised that the LGBTQ organisations represented the interests of lesbians, but we know that those organisations don't support lesbian rights to same-sex attraction. No reason was given for why women weren't represented as a broader group. The outcome of the review of the Anti-Discrimination Act will be disappointing to feminists and predictably so. The Queensland Women's Strategy, for which three of us from IWD Brisbane Mianjin made a submission urging a clear definition for woman and the inclusion into the strategy of the provisions of the UN Convention for the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, or CEDAW. Um, so we recommended that that be incorporated into the Queensland Women's Strategy. But of course it wasn't, and the Queensland Women's Strategy refers to girls and women as, and men, as people of all genders. So the Queensland Women's Strategy was another document that abandoned any support for women's sex-based rights. The Queensland Government has developed a habit now of excluding women as a stakeholder group in review of policies and legislation in which we have a strong interest. This applies glaringly in the intended changes to the Births, Deaths and Marriages Registration Act, where IWDBM was very upfront in writing to both the Premier and the Attorney General outlining that we're stakeholders because women, especially lesbians, as well as girls and children, have the most to lose from sex self-ID. Our requests were denied, as was a request from a, another uh, group of um, women from the Labor Party and non-Labor Party who made a more recent request for a meeting. We made our request a year ago in June of last year, all denied. So our responses to all of this and, you know, the, those pieces of legislation and that strategy are indicative of the Queensland government's approach to women's sex-based rights. So the responses I can speak about only from my own perspective. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor or a scientist. I'm not a wonderful writer, although I'm not bad. I'm not a researcher and I'm not an academic. My contribution to this struggle is based on the skills I've developed as a feminist activist and organiser over several decades, and also the skills I used in a previous life as a feminist community development worker. So I host two groups, a feminist real life discussion group, it's a secret group, and an activist group for people who are prepared to participate in street activism. We go public with our support for women's rights and kids safeguards through public gatherings and street marches. And we had, we had one today, actually. In that way, we break the taboo against even speaking of women's rights. So we don't speak a great deal about women's right to organize, although we do, we actually do it. We assemble, we organize, we take to the streets. Our physical presence can inform others of what's happening 
and encourage them also to speak up. I also support and encourage the women in both of those groups to write letters and postcards to MPs and to put in written submissions on crucial issues. And you don't need to be a great writer to put in a written submission. Some of the submissions that I saw some years ago when the, um, the abortion legal situation was uh, being reviewed, the submissions that came from the other side, the anti-abortionists, were absolutely woeful. Doesn't matter. I mean, all of us can write better than they, they did. And I host occasional in real life events with presentations and discussion. And a lot of these are videoed and then uploaded to the YouTube channel. And the, the presentation that Jasmine referred to earlier um, is is back again on our YouTube channel. After for a little while, we gave in and took it down in response to the demands of the ABA. To organize effective street protests and in building meetings, you need a few things. You need a good supply of clear signs. You need a PA and a mic so that no one can say to us, no, you can't hire this from us this time. You need pull up banners. You need a megaphone or two. You need financial contributions to enable speakers to travel if they live outside Brisbane. So if I'm inviting people to come to Brisbane to speak at events, I like to be able to make at least a contribution to their travel costs. You need enough money to print the occasional printed, um, the occasional coloured flyer for railway station distribution. You need to be able to give donations to other women who might be doing similar things. You need a YouTube channel, you need enough money to be able to pay um, an editor who will edit the video that we've recorded. You can see where I'm going with this, we need money. Therefore, fundraising, usually in the form of selling feminist merchandise, and you might notice I have a, a wonderful suffragette scarf on at the moment. A woman from Northern New South Wales made these for us to sell. Um, and uh, they're selling for a very reasonable $35. Um, so that takes up a good deal of time, the uh, fundraising. I wish I could get around it, but I can't. However, even the fundraising activities do build connections and they prompt discussion and they strengthen political support because everyone's encouraged to do what they can. I mean, some women are great at crocheting. I can't crochet. Um, some women might be really good at doing the videoing. Uh, some women, I discovered today, uh, a real champion as a, a chant leader, a woman who hasn't done it before, but has always fancied herself as a megaphone woman. And so she was our chant leader today and she was just wonderful. So she's got the gig from now on. We did have a, a another wonderful chant leader, but she moved to Hamilton Island, so we lost her a little while ago. Um, so I guess one of the things I do is encourage everyone to use the skills that you might already have. Uh, and if you want to develop new skills that are needed in the movement to do that, I'm too old to uh, start developing new skills. So I just use the skills that I've already got. Um, 
so for example the rally that we had today and the one that we had at the end of may enabled any of us who are on side to say yes i'll have a go at speaking so we had last time we had eight people speak today we had four or five no crossover you know no they were all different people and hopefully at our next one we'll have a number of other different people one of the women who spoke today I didn't even know her until our last rally. She came to it. She came to lunch with everyone afterwards. I said to her, you know, how would you, she had a lovely Irish voice. And I said to her, how would you like to speak at the next rally? And she said, I'll think about it. And a few days after that, she sent me an email saying, yes, I'd love to. And she did. And she was fantastic. Um, so people can speak on any aspect that appeals to them. And we had, you know, all different aspects addressed today. So they're the issues as I see them for Queensland at the moment and the things that I'm trying to do in conjunction with a network of other women and a couple of men uh, to confront where the Queensland government is heading politically right now. Thank you, Anna. That was awesome. And uh, before I close for questions, uh, where should women write to and to whom? Where can we get that information from, Anna? In terms of the the coming um, yeah, uh, sex-self-identity legislation, the, the person who has responsibility for it is the Attorney-General and Minister for Women, Shannon Fentiman. And, look, I will be advertising the postcards soon. I've got three different postcards to... Um, to send. One is to Fentiman, the Attorney General. One is to the Deputy Premier, Stephen Miles. I thought it was fair enough to send him some postcards because he was the one who pushed through the conversion therapy legislation in 2020. And the third postcard has, um, no, it's blank, so you can write it to your local member. But um, all of those addresses are on the postcard and I often advertise them on the IWD Brisbane Meangin Facebook page as well. That's awesome. And finally, while we're still promoting women to be able to speak, how was the rally today? It was great. We had, at the first one in May, we had 29 people. Um, today, including the people who came, saw and stayed for most of the rally, we had about 34 and we had about 25 or 24 who went on the march. We had a great deal of support from the public. It was really good. I mean, it was only a footpath march because you can't go on the road unless you have 100 people. Um, it'll be a while before we get 100. But we had a lot of support from bystanders. You know, they were really attracted by our very clear core flutes. We stopped at one point for about five minutes in the mall and just chanted, and a lot of people came up to us. And when they know the issues, they're on side. 